Saul does it diligently. They search high and low for these donkeys all over the Judean countryside for three days, and they still don't find them. And so eventually, Saul stops and says in verse 5, Come on, let's go back, or my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about us. He gives up, and he wants to go home. But his attendant has another idea. Verse 6, Look, the attendant said, There's a man of God in this city who is highly respected. Everything he says is sure to come true. Let's go there now. Maybe he'll tell us which way we should go. Saul's attendant has heard about a man who can tell you things that no one else can tell you. He can tell the future or he can maybe tell the location of missing donkeys. He's not like a fortune teller or like a soothsayer or something like that. He doesn't have magical powers, no. He's a man of God. He hears God speak to him, and so then whatever he then says happens because God has said it will happen and he's in control of the future. And for those of us in the know who have been reading 1 Samuel, we can kind of guess that this man of God they're talking about is Samuel. Saul is a bit reluctant at first, but then his attendant says, I've got a piece of silver. We can give it to the man of God as a thank you gift. And so this convinces Saul, and they say, okay, let's go. Off they go to find the man of God who will help them find their lost donkeys. Along the way, they need to stop and ask some women for <clears throat> directions, and it just so happens that the man of God is nearby. What do the women say? He's here today. Hurry and find him. Go up immediately to the high place, to the top of the mountain where God's people sacrifice to the Lord, and you'll catch him. He's meant to be up there today. So Saul and his attendant rush to the city towards the high place. And just as they're entering the city, who else but Samuel comes walking towards them. And then the perspective shifts to Samuel's perspective. And we are given some interesting insight into what has really been going on with this tall man, Saul, and his wild donkey chase. Verse 15. Have a look. Now the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Did you see it? Saul and his attendant think that they are looking for donkeys. But God says to Samuel, no, no, I am sending Saul to you. Saul thinks he's sent by his father to find missing donkeys, but really, God is sending Saul to find Samuel. God is working through this strange turn of events, this wild donkey chase, to lead Saul to something that he did not expect. And we find out what that is in verse 16. God says to Samuel, At this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. Saul has been on this seemingly wild donkey chase, but God has been guiding and directing him for this bigger purpose. Saul is to be God's chosen ruler, the leader that Israel needs. Saul is the answer to their request for a king, to their need for security in the face of the Philistines who continually attack them. Through Saul, God will keep his word. 
He will be compassionate and generous to his people and give them the king that they ask for. He will save them from their enemies. But Saul has no idea about this yet. He doesn't even know who Samuel is. And so he goes up to Samuel in verse 18 and says, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? And to Saul's surprise, what does Samuel say? Verse 19, I am the seer. Surprise! It's almost as if God intended them to bump each other, bump into each other, isn't it? Well, then Samuel puts an end to Saul's wild donkey chase. He says, don't worry, the donkeys have been found, and now your father's worried about you. And then he says something that surprises Saul even more than he already is. Have a look at the end of verse 20. Samuel says, And who does all Israel desire but you and all your father's family? Samuel is saying in a sneaky way, Saul, you are the king that Israel has been asking for. Saul doesn't really know what he means, and so he says, I'm from the smallest family in the smallest tribe of Israel. What do you mean Israel desires me? I'm a nobody. He's a shy guy, and he doesn't know what Samuel's getting at. Samuel doesn't tell him what he means straight away, but instead throws a huge banquet for him to honor him as the one who will be king. Samuel seats him at the head of the table in front of 30 men, and then he brings out the choicest portion of meat, the thigh and everything attached to it, and he places it in front of Saul says, eat, this has been prepared for you especially. And so they eat and they talk and they hang out into the night. But the next day is when everything becomes clear to Saul. Early in the morning, they get up and so Samuel can send Saul on his way. But he says in verse 27, tell your attendant to go on ahead of us, but you stay here a while and I'll reveal the word of God to you. Everything so far has been leading up to this point. A wild donkey chase, followed by Saul randomly bumping into Samuel. The huge banquet that was for Saul, and now a word from God directly to Saul. What would he have been thinking? Who am I that God would want to say something to me? And so what's the message that the Lord has for Saul. Well, that comes in chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Let's read it. Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on Samuel's head, kissed him and said, Hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Finally, everything is starting to make sense. Through this strange turn of events, through this wild donkey chase, God has been leading Saul to become the king of Israel. Who is this king God will choose? Saul. And so Samuel pours oil over his head as a symbolic mark. You are the king. You are set apart for this task. And then Samuel tells Saul to go on his way. And he tells him everything that will happen to him that day. He'll bump into some people who would tell him that his dad's donkeys have been found and that they're worried about him now. 
he'll bump into some other blokes who will give him some bread for his journey. And then when he gets home to Gibeah, to the hill of God, verse 6, the spirit of the Lord will control you, Saul. You will prophesy with them and you will be transformed into a different person. When these signs have happened to you, do whatever your circumstances require because God is with you. God's spirit would enable Saul to do his new task of being king. And his first task is to go home and, verse 7, to do whatever your circumstances require, which is kind of code for go and fight against the Philistines who have garrisons nearby. And God would be with him to win that battle. And what happens that day? Verse 9. When Saul turned around to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all the signs that came, and all the signs came about that day. Remember, everything that Samuel says comes true. So it does. Saul meets all the people he's meant to, and when he meets the group of prophets, God's spirit changes him, and he prophesies with a band of prophets. God has clearly marked Saul to be king of his people. Except one thing doesn't come to pass that day. We are not told anywhere that Saul fought against the Philistines. Instead, Saul has a chat to his uncle where he's too timid to say anything about what Samuel did, anointing him with oil and saying that he would be the king. Again, we see Saul is a shy guy. Everything on God's end of things happened, but Saul didn't take the initiative to fight against the Philistines when he could have. And so we start to wonder at this point of the story, is Saul really the leader that Israel needs? Will he be a faithful king? Well, now that Saul has been marked as God's chosen king, all that's left to do is for the people to recognize him. Because remember, this was just in private between Samuel and Saul. And so Samuel gathers all of Israel to a town called Mizpah. And he says in verse 17, he says this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you out of Egypt, and I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your troubles and afflictions. You said to him, you must set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Samuel reminds Israel of their terrible sin in asking for a king when God was meant to be their king. But then something quite amazing happens. They cast lots to choose who their king will be. It's like flipping a coin or rolling a dice to see who will be your leader, who will be your president. It's a strange way to pick a king, but clearly God is in control because every time they cast the lots, the lot falls closer and closer to Saul, to the tribe of Benjamin, to the Matrite clan, to Kish's family, and then Saul, son of Kish. But Saul is nowhere to be found. Instead, where is shy guy Saul hiding? 
he's hiding among the supplies. And so God tells them where he is. He rats him out. Verse 23. They ran and got him from there. When he stood among the people, he stood a head taller than anyone else. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the entire population. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel proclaimed to the people the rights of kingship. He wrote them on a scroll and he placed it in the presence of the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each to his home. And so there we have it. Saul goes on a mission to search for donkeys, but God has a bigger plan for him. God has a plan for him to become the king of his people. God is faithful and God is compassionate in giving his people the king that they have asked for. But already in this story, the question started to be raised. What kind of king will Saul be? Will Saul be the leader that Israel really needs? At the very end of the story, at the very end of chapter 10, some wicked men doubt that Saul is the right man for the job. At the end of the story, verse 27, these guys ask, can this guy really save us? Can this shy guy really protect us from the Philistines? This guy who on the one hand, you know, he's tall and impressive. He looks intimidating when he goes out into battle in front of us. But on the other hand, this guy is shy and he hides from his responsibilities. Can this guy really save God's people? Or more importantly, can he lead them in godliness? Can he lead them to worship God alone like Samuel had done faithfully for so many years? Will Saul lead them to safety and security? And will he lead Israel to worship God alone? Will he be the leader that they really need? Well, we'll have to keep reading on in the story to find out. We'll have to read on to find out more about that. But I think that that question reminds us of another king. Another king that God that God's people doubted 1,000 years later. Another king that people asked, can you really save us? Isn't this the same insult? That the Jews throw, that the Jews threw at Jesus while he was on the cross. What does Jewish, Jewish leaders say? Have a look, verse twenty, verse forty-two of Matthew chapter twenty-seven. It's on your outline. They say he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. Then, can this guy hanging on a cross really save us? They asked. This condemned, defeated, bleeding and dying man. What's the answer? Can Jesus really save us? Yes. In fact, it's even as he hangs on that cross that he is saving us and he's showing us how to worship God alone. On that cross, he is saving us. He is paying the penalty for our sin and our guilt before God. And he is also pointing us to how to worship how to worship God alone by fulfilling God's command for him to die on that cross. Is Jesus the leader that we need? Yes. 
He saves us from our sin and he leads us to worship God alone, just as he did, even to the point of death on a cross. And so in this story about Saul and his donkeys, we get a bit of a foretaste of the way that God provides the leader that his people need. God is faithful and he has provided us with the leader that we need, King Jesus. And so the question at this uh, point that we have to ask is, do we trust that God provides for us, his people? Or are we people who doubt God's choices and decisions for our lives? Are we people who trust God's decision for us and our lives, or do we doubt him? The truth is, God is bringing about his desired ends in history. He's bringing it all to where he wants it to go. He's, and, in, and in each of our individual lives, he's bringing us to read God's word more, to understand Jesus more, to trust in him for salvation, to live for him more and more. That's what he's doing. And we might not like the way that he does it sometimes, or we might not see the way that he's doing it at other times. But that is what he's doing. And so sometimes we doubt whether God is as wise or as good or as powerful as he says he is. And it can be tempting to be like the wicked men who doubt God's choice of Saul and say, can this guy really save us? Does God really provide for us? Does he really care for us? But God has provided time and time again for his people and proven that he can do it. He provided King Saul for Israel and he has provided for us incredibly in our King Jesus. He is the leader that we need who died to save us and who leads us to worship God. So trust that God knows what he is doing. Trust him with the big things in your life like salvation and then trust him with every other part of your life. What are some of those things that we struggle to trust God in? What are some of those times that we find it difficult to trust our good and loving Father who's providing for us? When we are sick. If you are sick, trust God for healing. But more importantly, trust God to teach you to depend on him through that sickness. Or if you are burdened by sin, trust that Jesus has paid for it all and that his word and his Holy Spirit can strengthen you to say no to sin. Maybe you're tempted to keep your money and your possessions for yourself. No, trust God that he knows what you need and will provide for you. And then be generous with what he has given you. If you are unmarried, trust that God knows what he's doing with giving you the gift of singleness. And if you are married, then trust God that he can help you to love your spouse even when it is really difficult to do that. If you are finding it hard to be at church or at home group, then trust God that it is the best thing for you to be there to love and serve others. If you have found yourself in an impossible or painful situation, then trust God that he will give you a way through it and that he will help you with his word to make decisions that bring glory to Jesus. And if you struggle to trust him, then be honest. Tell him about that struggle and entrust it to him. 
For he is a God who is good and provides for his people. He has provided for Israel in giving them the king that they asked for. And he has provided for us in giving us the leader that we need, King Jesus, our Saviour. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you are our provider. Thank you that you provide us with so many practical things from day to day, for food and for money, for fresh air and clean water. But thank you most of all that you provide for us by giving us the leader that we need, our Lord Jesus. Thank you that he died to take the punishment for our sin and that he teaches us how to live for you. Lord, please help us to trust in you as our generous provider and help us to express that trust in thanks to you and in living more and more like our King Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.